Is your church in need of a brand new flyer design? You're in the right place. We're here to help. My name is Eric Pizarro with Advanced Creative Design. We are offering all listeners of this podcast a 10% discount off their very first order. Feel free to send us an email at advancedcreativedesign23 at gmail.com. Also, make sure you mention in that email that you heard us here on this podcast. Our website will be up soon, but in the meantime, we will be glad to help. God bless you all. We look forward to working with you. Make it a great day. Welcome to the Taking the Land podcast. This is your home for daily audio sermons from Christian Fellowship Ministries. God has gifted our fellowship with some of the finest preachers in the world and we want to share. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. The sermon I've entitled, The Listening Barber. I want you to listen to the story about the barber this morning. I believe it will lend to us and as we weave this tapestry of all that God is doing. I do want to say what a tremendous privilege and an honor it is to be here. I'm absolutely, absolutely thankful and blessed to be here amongst such a great crowd of people. The listening barber. There was a man named Johnny who was on a church council of a very popular church in this city. He went into the barber shop for his routine haircut. The barber could tell that Johnny was not up to his normal happy self. What's the problem, Johnny? The barber asked with listening ears. Johnny responded, oh, it is church problem, sad to say. Well, what seems to be the problem, asked the barber. Well, we had to get rid of our pastor today. The barber asked in amazement, why did something like this have to happen? What did he do wrong? Johnny responded very passionately with tears in his eyes as the listening barber listened on. And Johnny said, well, this pastor would tell us that we're all no good. He would tell us that we're all going to go to hell. He would complain that we did not give enough of our time. Neither did he give we give enough of our money. He would tell us that we will always, we were always late. He told us that we took too many vacations. We did not read our Bibles and that we had become very unteachable. So as a result, we had to ask him to leave as Johnny spoke with great intensity. Six months later, Johnny was in to see the barber again for his routine haircut. With a whole new attitude, he was full of joy He was full of excitement. He was full of laughter. He was full of peace. And the barber said, well, Johnny, it clearly appears that the church problems have been solved. And Johnny spoke with great excitement. He says, yes, we're all healed up. We got a brand new pastor as he spoke with great thrill. The members are happy. The church is now growing. Wow, said the listening barber. What an amazing guy. What do you suppose the difference is? What does this pastor tell you? Johnny said, well, this pastor tells us that we're no good. He says, this pastor tells us we're going to hell. This pastor complains that we don't give enough time or money. 
He tells us we're always late. He tells us we take too many vacations. He tells us we don't read our Bibles. And he tells us that we are very unteachable. Now the barber looks with total confusion and he shouts to Johnny, Johnny, are you crazy? Why are you so happy? I have to, hate to tell you this, but you have the same problem as the last one. Johnny responds with a very calm demeanor and he says, the difference, my dear barber, is we know that this one loves us. How many folks know Congregations really do know. Hidden within the theme of our conference is a very profound statement that I want to hone in on. If you look at our brochure, in Philippians 2.15 it says, Be children of God, giving light to a generation of sinful men. It is the sinful generation that is going to define our fruitfulness, how we process those who we are given the privilege to work with, how we process the intensity of the growing amount of unbelievable sin at catastrophic levels as they come into our churches. The story that I have read to you clearly denotes a problem that has plagued my life before clearly the problem of the first pastor, and we find in our story a very frustrated pastor. How many of you pastors sitting here today have pastored in total, complete frustration? As I was reading this story, I thought, oh my God, it sounds like me. In the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 18, the Bible speaks and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to the recovering of the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The first thing we find in this passage of Scripture, if I could, oh, here it is. In this passage of Scripture is we find our calling. To effectively impact the generation of sinful men and to effectively serve our generation, we're going to have to understand our calling and our equipment. In this passage of Scripture, it begins by telling us the supernatural dynamic that is attached to our lives. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, and He has anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. In the text that is before us, it is establishing something that God places on the minister, something that God places on the pastor. It is 
letting us know that we are not having to do this on our own human ability or our human feelings. It is a supernatural enablement of an origin of our calling that must be understood to effectively serve our generation. It's going to take more than a nice personality, more than a nice program, more than a nice building. It's going to take the anointing power of the living God to energize every sermon, every word, every thought as we attempt to serve a generation of sinful men. I want you to know something. I've been in Chinle for many, many years. And we pastor crazy people. I can remember one time I was in my office studying like a pastor should, and I had an outside exit, and we didn't have air conditioning them them days. And I saw a man beating up his girlfriend or his wife or whatever they were, fornicators, however you want to address it, don't matter. Ain't no one married in Chinle anyhow, so no tell what it was. But he was punching out this girl. And you know, man, I'm 50 years old, but I like to still think I got it, you know? So I jump off my desk. I said, hey, homie, I'm right here, baby. And I went and I grabbed that guy around the neck and I still got it. Don't mess with me. I threw him to the ground. I went to hit him. Oh, I'm the pastor. I'm the pastor. I might be wrong doing this. And anyway, I went to hit him and lo and behold, the woman jumped on my my back. You leave my boyfriend alone. (laughs) I didn't counsel marriage for five years after that. How we process this generation. How we process the generation of sinful men. The open door to frustration. We must understand the call of God on our lives. The holy calling. The profound revelation. The spirit of the Lord God is upon us. To speak by divine appointment. To speak words in due season. Divinely inspired, not by cleverly thought out books, but to divinely speak under the anointing power of God for our lives. The text speaks of the equipping and the anointing to give us the edge in preaching. The word anointing means God has set us apart for this specific work. When I begin to understand this, I would look at some of our leaders and I would say, how do they pastor so many people? I work myself to a frenzy. How do they do it? I begin to understand that it is the anointing power of God to equip what we are saying as we are set apart with this sacred deposit from God, the anointing to preach the gospel. Anointing to preach the gospel, this second word. The word gospel here, listen to me carefully, actually means God's message or God's words 
or good tidings. One of the most humbling things we could do as pastors is we should every now and then listen to our self-preach. Sad to say, when we are in a form of frustration, we can say things that are absolutely over the top. Might as well say amen. My quarter, I'll be honest. I heard Pastor Warner. Yes, I've been wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know it's hard to believe. Yeah, yeah, I've been wrong. The crazy things that we will let slip out of our message as we will punish the faithful because of the unfaithful, as we will hammer our churches, as we will complain from the pulpit. Listen to me, beloved, a profound revelation. When we have a good, godly message to speak, we are anointed, beloved, to bring hope, to bring joy, faith, and love into the arena of sinful man. I can remember my precious wife. Thank God for a precious wife. One day after a Sunday morning, I was very frustrated. And she said, my God, what was that? Who were you mad at? That sermon was horrible. You know what that was? And I'm saying, get the veneno, calmate, chihuahua, calmate. What, what, what? She said, that was roadkill. That was roadkill. If you don't study and preach better, Gallup's not that far. I'm going to go listen to pastor. Listen to me. Caused me to want to bring hope to my dying generation of sinful Navajos. I'm going to tell you folks something. People respond to hope. People respond to faith. And I can also tell you, we're anointed to bring judgment as well. But I promise you, I I understand. I was reading a book about church planting. It says the turnover rate of pastors is four years. I now know why being in Chinle 20 years. Because after four years, you have to start pastoring your own mistakes. Our message has got to be clear and we have to understand that it is anointed by God's power. There's going to require a protecting of this calling. This anointing is supernatural and it cannot be shared with anything When I moved to Chinle, Arizona, I clearly begin to realize this is the only thing I can give my attention to. Our calling must be central. It must be our single desire. It must be the passion for our lives to effectively serve our generation. We can be diverted by no other thing. This cannot be shared with compromise. It cannot be shared 
shared with carnality. It cannot be shared with worldliness. It cannot be shared with employment or materialism. You and I are under the mandate of a supernatural calling and the ability to conquer frustration, beloved, is to understand that we are, listen to me, we really are the answer for this generation. It gave me a new boldness. It gave me a new wisdom when I begin to understand the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and He has sent me here with divine wisdom and divine understanding to win this nation for God Almighty. We are not doing this alone. You find this thought riddled all over the Scripture. John fifteen sixteen says, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. And I've ordained you that you should go and bring forth much fruit, and that your fruit should remain. In Jeremiah 1 and, 5, it's 1 and 5, it says, Before I formed thee in thy belly, I knew thee. Before they, thou camest forth out of her womb, I sanctified thee. You are not alone. I have ordained you as a prophet to the nations. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. Matthew 28 says, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel, raise up disciples, and lo, I am with you always. That, my friends, is divine calling. We are not doing this alone. I want to speak to you secondly about the target and the work that's found in our text. Now, I've got to admit, this is extremely accentuated in the arena that I pastor. I pastor in a place where we're 58% alcoholic. Before I left to Prescott, Monday morning, I got all the drunks that were living underneath our storage room. And I woke them up. I said, you guys hungry? I took them to have breakfast. Why would I do that? Because they are found in our text, and I know this is an extreme, but here we go. Our target is He has sent us to heal the brokenhearted. Did you hear what I just said? He says, I have sent you to preach deliverance to those who are captives, to remove the sight from, from the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the people group found in our text. I promise you, we are called to reach Problem people. Problem people and how we view them is very critical. Brokenhearted in this passage of Scripture actually is speaking of the fatherless. 70% of the men in my church are fatherless. 70% of the men in my church are over-emotional. 70% of the men in my church are very susceptible to rejection. There's even some of them, they're a little effeminate. How do you like that one? My point is, in the growing age of sinful men, what are we going to do with that? 
set at liberty to open prison doors. It actually means to break off all the chains of slavery by preventing them to engage in crime. It's talking about those suffering from the consequences of sin and blindness. Restore the sight of the blind. It is speaking about messed up people. In my frustration, I have cried out to God like I'm sure many of you pastors have. If we're going to be honest this morning, thank you, Pastor Warner. God, can you send me good people? Well, I have news for you. Good people isn't in that list. To effectively serve our generation, it's going to require three obvious things. First one is a proper view of sinful men. Second is a proper understanding of the phrase, according to the will of God, which is our theme. And I think we need a renewed perspective of the cost of soul winning. I want to speak to you first about sinful men because they can be viewed as a great area of frustration in our lives. I get tired of people sometimes. And if we are not careful, the frustration level will absolutely be a defining moment in our life. One day I was sitting around with my wife and we hated Chinle. We hated Arizona. We hated everything that was brown, including each other. We hated everything. I hated the dog. No one was right. Everybody's going to hell. No one's correct. And I'm thinking, my God, listen to us. How can I minister in that capacity? People come into the church. What do they want? Oh, my God. Give me gas shot and leg. Give me gas. Give me gas. Oh, my God. Please, my son, give me gas money. Please, my son. What do these crazy people want? Let me guess. Okay, I can tell. All you white folks, I can tell. This only happens to reservation preachers. Okay, let's turn up the heat. How do you talk about your churches? Disciples are no good. Oh my God, dumb, dumb, dumb for reals. Oh man. I've said it just like the lady on YouTube. Who got time for this? I can remember, you know, I told some of these pictures, these stories in the Prescott Church, and they all with their big blue eyes were looking at me and say, hey, don't look at me so funny. You told me to reach sinners, and there, there it is. We had a bunch of gangsters get saved. Well, you can say amen all you want, man. Because <laughs> this is what I'm talking about right here. How are you going to process these imperfect people? These wicked fornicators. Oh, my God. Kick everybody out of church. I can save it all. Kick me out of church. Pastor yourselves. We'll all be happy. I remember they all got saved, and my wife calls me. Hey, are you at the church? I said, no. She said, the cops just called. There's five fights at the church. 
So I get to the church, and there's only two fights, man. These Navajo boys, little chubby fray bread all right here. You know, they're out there duking it out, you know, cussing everybody. These are all my new converts. And I told my there's only two fights. And then I went inside the building in the holy sanctuary, right there in front of God and everybody. They were throwing down half the blood and guts and Navajo spillings everywhere. Oh, you'd have loved it. Then the cops came. Navajo cops. Google it. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> you know, they're all, you know, they all came in there wearing their SWAT vests. Oh, my God. I didn't even know we had SWAT vests. And they came in. I preached on brotherly love one night. <laughs> what to God, these were older stories. You'll probably never let me preach in your church again. I just preached this sermon, everybody's at the altar. Oh, oh, forgive me, bro, forgive me, bro. And then a couple of minutes later, man, I hear this thump, one guy punches out the other guy then the little brother the one that took a beating of his life i was happy for that anyway his brother jumps on the first guy then all the mothers are in it oh my god i watch a mother fly back and she put with her ring she puts a hole in my drywall and i think oh my god look at these sinful debaucherized filthy dirty sinners we're all gonna go to hell I was praying for a girl chucked full of demons. I don't know if you guys still believe in demons. If you don't, it's true. Woogums are all over Chinle. Just come on down. I go into this lady's house, and there's this little girl, and she's sitting there, and there's two Mormon missionaries there, and uh, I walk in, and the Mormon is show Pastor going, we're not trying to steal your sheep. Oh, don't worry. It's okay. You can steal that one if you want. Anyway, I'm sitting there, and then... They said, we, we just want to help you pray. I said, good. They don't know she's got a demon. They wouldn't know a demon if it come up and bit them. Anyway, I walk into her, I look at her, and she says, F you, Pastor Aragon, we hate you. <laughs> the two Mormon kids get up. we got to go eat dinner. Sit down. You're going to help me pray. We pray. <laughs> Man, them two Mormon kids, I promise you, they got converted that night. I'm sitting there saying, God, what's up with all this? Look at these people. Not one person's normal. And I heard God say, and? Nobody's married. Okay. Aren't there any good? That's 
That's why I sent you there. We used to only want sinners. Now all we want is good people. Now if they don't have a job, oh my God. How do you view sinful people? So when we're frustrated, it can impede our view greatly. Are you in need of a passport in a hurry? Look no further. Global Passport Express is here to help. With our efficient and reliable services, we can process your passport in as quick as seven days. That's right, just seven days. And that's not all. We specialize in visas for many countries, including popular destinations like China, India, and so much more. Whether you're planning a family vacation, a business trip, or your next mission trip, Global Passport Express is your one-stop solution for all your passport and visa needs. So why wait? Reach out to us today at 210-375-7525 to speak with one of our friendly and knowledgeable representatives. They will guide you through the process and answer any questions you may have. You can also visit our website at www.globalpassportexpress.com for more information and to start your application online. It's quick, easy, and convenient. Mention this ad and receive 10% off any of our services. Don't let time constraints hold you back from your travel dreams. Trust Global Passport Express to deliver your passport fast, hassle-free, and with a smile. Global Passport Express, your passport and visa experts. Get ready to explore the world. Jesus gives us a perfect picture of sinful men. He said when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because he understood that they were fainted and scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray for the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. You still moved by the condition of your city? People have asked me, what's kept you in Chinle so long? Well, it's the wonderful shopping. <laughs> you know what? I, I was eating at uh, Black Angus and out back there across the street from the church the other day. I said, I'm going to stay here because we have all the restaurants we need. Burger King just got an Angus burger, so we call that the Outback now. You know what keeps me in Chinle? I can still be moved by the condition of the people. Is that okay? Five times higher than the national average of teen suicide. Where am I going to go? I'm still moved with compassion. This word compassion means caring enough to do something. I have news for you. My drunks 
are human beings. And no, I don't let them disrupt my service. And no, I don't let them tear up things. Where do you want them to be? This rug signifies my point, and I'll change gears. It's a drunk lady who slept in my office more than once. I know you want me to carry her, pick her up, and haul her out. I, I, I wasn't going to touch her. I couldn't smell her, much less touch her. <laughs> Listen to me. Prayed with her a number of times. Nothing changed. One day I saw her coming in. I have a wall of glass windows, and I was very frustrated that day. And I said, I, I don't want to deal with this lady. I don't like this lady. I wish she'd leave me alone. And she made her way in, and I'm having to put on a happy face. I know we've all had to do that before. And I said, sister, what can I do for you? And she starts weeping. She said, I want you to meet someone. She brought her husband, who was stone sober. And she said, I just wanted to, to give you this. Because there have been times in my life that you were the only one who loved me. And her husband said, she used to tell me about you. We have fought her alcoholism for many years. And I just want to say thanks for helping my wife. And she gave me that rug. <clears throat> Secondly, the proper understanding of the will of God. You know what the will of God really is? Are you ready for this? Are you ready? I know this is going to flip you out, but this is the will of God. David served his generation according to the will of God. God's not willing that any of these people perish, by the way. Reaching men by all means. A powerful statement. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Thirdly, the lost at any cost. I've learned that when I was frustrated, we did the least in the church. Churches that don't do anything are usually frustrated. They learn statements like, nothing works. These people are too hard. Chin Arizona is the seat of Satan. Hallelujah. Devil, the devil must be omnipresent. Reaching the lost in a state of frustration can be a terrible, terrible experience. Because our frustration will dict dictate to us the level of investment and faith that we place in our cities. First Corinthians, Pastor Ruby talked about it, and I won't go into that too much, but it says, to the weak I became weak, to the mighty I became, to, to, to the weak I became as the weak, that I might gain the weak, and I made all things, I became all things to all men, that by all means I could save some. Can I tell you folks something? Sometimes you're just going to have to go beyond yourself if you're going to be effective. I'm not a Navajo. I'm a Mexican. I grew up with white people. I'm really confused. Now I pastor Indians. <laughs> Listen, Navajos are big on killing sheep. And so I learned how to butcher. And they're into fry bread, so a 512 calorie cardio diet won't work in Jinli. <laughs> so one day there was about 50 Navajos, and most of them were older, and I had just finished butchering the sheep. And they were all cheering and carrying on. And they said, oh, Pastor Aragon, there's one tradition that you've forgotten if you're really going to pastor us. I said, what's that? He said, you have to eat the nashkonj. Now, you folks, I don't expect you to know what nashkonj is, but I'm going to describe it. I think I can get in in here. 
It's the last two inches of the uh, large intestine that carries out the waste, the last two inches right before it plops onto the ground. And I said, you guys eat that? They eat everything. I mean, oh my God. Oh, I said OMG before we had phones. So they throw that little mush boys on the grill. And I'm watching it turn into a big Cheerio or a small donut. I would have never done that, Pastor. I know you don't live where I live either. So I finally picked up that nashkonj, I stuck it in my mouth and I ate it. And all of those Navajo people begin to cheer that I might win the more. Fast forward the tape. I do a funeral for one of these people. A Navajo lady stands up and starts yelling to her family in Navajo. She says, I don't care if he's not Navajo. I don't care what you think. This man is here to help us. He has become one of us. You're going to do whatever he says. <laughs> Winning the lost at any cost. It won't hurt you to eat something you're not used to. <laughs> Lastly, and I've got to hurry. You've got to love the work. I want to probably try to close with this story, but many of you know I got, became very ill about... 10 years ago, and then it graduated real bad about six years ago. And I was in the hospital very bitter and frustrated, processing all that had gone on with my own son, all that had been going on in the church, my own frustration. And I cried out to God from the hospital bed. And I said, why am I here? Do you have something to say to me? And I don't like hear God's voice all the time, but I heard it that day. Listen to me. Said, so you're here because you're no longer faithful. I said, you know what? I got bitter. I mean, I'm yelling to the, to an empty room. Unfaithful? That's the last thing you should ever call me. I got nothing left to give. Unfaithful? Then he said, what do you really want, Pastor Aragon? What do you want? You're clearly not happy with what I've given you to do. You want to be a world speaker? I'll make you that. You want to live in the inner city? I can make that happen. You want to get off this little res? I can make that happen too. But you're unfaithful because you're no longer happy with what I have given you to do. Can I ask you a question? How many men out here today have lost the love for what God has given you to do? Listen to me. I began to weep and I said, God, how do I fix this? He said, Artie, I really want to reach them. And I chose you because you can reach them. Can you choose them again? Can you choose them again? I said, Lord, I will return to my city and fall in love with the work. I gave myself to evangelism. Let me tell you what evangelism really is. 
just making yourself known to your city. Did you know what I just said? We're so event-oriented, aren't we? No one gets saved, we're all bummed out. I'm going to tell you something. When you love the work, you just want to be known. One day, you know, people, people give Navajo people everything. They call the church one day, we have 200 watermelons. We want to give them to the church. Okay, bring them over. Have you ever seen 200 watermelons? They filled up my prayer room, both of my nurseries, and the hallway. So what are we going to do with all these watermelons? We're going to serve our generation. We took a marker and wrote on them, we love you from the potter's house. We appreciate the Chinle PD. We went to the police department and gave every policeman a watermelon. We went to the grocery store. We didn't put I love you on that grocery store, but we said uh, from the potter's house, and we gave every employee a watermelon. It took us three days. We gave the whole working class a watermelon. And I'm going to tell you what, it changed the climate of our city. The church that helps. The church that loves. To fall in love with the work, you have to ask yourself this question. And this is a humbling question. And I say it with all deep passion and pastoral care. Because I'm one of you. But after being in a city for 20 years, in tears, I begin to write down names of people that maybe I ran off because of the way I handled a particular situation. And I went back and processed every one of them. And for the majority of them, I went back and made things right with them. So you know what, bro? I, I, I probably didn't say all that just right. And I didn't anticipate you to leave. And now your kids are all unsaved. You know what? Let, let's start over. I'm so sorry. And I'll tell you what, man. The whole town, because we only have 5,800 people. The whole town was talking about me got to love the work. We have to give ourselves to making disciples. Can I tell you, pastors, that's not going to happen coming to church right on time and leaving the first one out. You're going to have to give yourself to men. And it's heartbreaking. And they fail. And it hurts. Sometimes you can't even scoop them up. I got a new take on the men that quit and the men that leave. This is what they got tired of. They got frustrated and could not process evangelism every week. They got tired of the heartbreak of raising up men. And the last one is church planting. We're not experts by no means, but we launched three men about 18 months ago all at once. And it cost us over 35,000 U.S. dollars, broke every account we had. I mean to tell you, it was overwhelming. One of them never took off, and I'm sitting there. This is what they couldn't handle no more. But I just want to know tonight before we close, who amongst us are living in frustration? Where evangelism is now a very big issue, it doesn't work. And who here today, man, you're tired of working with men? It's too much work. And you know what? It's far easier not to launch churches because of its expense. But who amongst us today is falling prey to this assault of frustration? i got to say something very profound. We have dumped tens of thousands of dollars into South Dakota, but there really is a reward of all of this. I got to go preach my first revival and there was 35 to 40, maybe 50 Sioux Indians all messed up, 
killing one another in the parking lot, late for church, but it was such a reward of my personal investment. You have to love the work. The Navajo people who deeply love me. Unbelievable picture of God's possibilities. And I want to close with this story because I believe it's pertinent. It's a story of a diamond named Koainor Diamond. It is amongst the most spectacular in the world. Queen Victoria, the Queen of England, for the latter half of the 1800s, received it as a gift from the Maharaj when he was just a child. But later on, as a grown man, the Maharaj visited Queen Victoria again, and he requested that he get the stone back and it be brought from the Tower of London to Buckingham Palace. And there the Maharaj took the diamond and knelt down before the Queen and gave it back to her, saying, Your Majesty, I gave you this jewel when I was a child, too young to know what I was doing. I want to give it back to you again in the fullness of my strength with all the heart and affection and gratitude, now and forever, full, fully realizing now what its worth is. Can I just tell you something? Years ago, when we were all young, we gave ourselves to this. Did you hear me? Everybody wanted to go out and pastor. We'd come to a conference and all we'd talk about is cities. We could be dumber than a box of rocks. But we got, God's got a city. Many of us foolishly jumped into the harness of all that we do today. But you know what we as old, us older pastors and some of you other pastors need to do today? Now that I am old, now that I understand the value of this, now that I understand the cost of this, look at me. It's costed me my life. But I want to take that diamond back. Now in my full strength, in my full understanding, in the midst of all the scars, now that I know what it's worth, what I see today, I want to give it back to God. And I want to give it back to my headship. And I want to give it back again. Let's give the Lord a clap offering as our pastor comes. Hi, I'm Mike Ashcraft, pastor currently in Van Nuys, California. I was a missionary in Guatemala for almost 16 years, and I thought that the only inheritance I'd leave my kids was the most important one, the spiritual legacy. When God brought me back to the United States, my family had only our clothes and computer. Since then, God has blessed me financially, and not through having a big church. Find out how you can steward your finances to prosperity and bless your children. Show them that serving God has blessings both here on earth and in the future in heaven. Call me today, 310-403-6471. That's 310-403-6471.